Let's pray. God, um, I pray that as we enter in and we continue in this Advent season, uh, that your presence would be near us, that, that we would expect much of you uh, because you are a God who does great things. Or that there would be um, truth spoken today as there already has been, that it would sink deeply into our hearts or that you would change and transform us uh, by your word. Amen. Well, um, I wanted to start out talking today, um, talking about a guy named Edwin Friedman, um, because everyone wants to know about a rabbi psychologist, right? Um, He uh, actually was one of the fathers of family systems theory, and his central thesis was that in order to upend an anxious or unhealthy system, whether it's a government or even a family, there needed to be someone who had a non-anxious presence. That was his word for it, a non-anxious presence or a peaceful person. Someone who was well differentiated, which is a long word that just means they aren't just always reacting to the things or the people outside of themselves anxiously. And if there was a stable person in a circumstance, then that unhealthy system could be upended and changed to a non-anxious, peaceful one. Sounds great, right? The title of his book, his most famous work, is A Failure of Nerve. And his point is, um, these these unhealthy, these anxious systems are due to the fact that there isn't a person who can actually keep their nerve in situations that are anxious and unhealthy. And he said that the work he did with families, um, even if a child in the family, didn't have to be one of the parents, even if a child was able to exude this non-anxious presence, it could change a family system. And he saw it happen, but not always for long. And today, uh, we're looking at the subject of peace. And uh, as Cameron explained, uh, the season of Advent is, is looking back um, at the first coming of Jesus and looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. Um, and as we get closer and closer, we light a candle each week to signify we're, we're moving closer to the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Um, this week, we are looking at peace. We're looking at four things throughout this time, hope, peace, joy, and love. And the coming of Jesus as a child uh, establishes all of these things, and his second coming establishes them forever. But my, my hunch, for most of you here today, I know I've talked to you, I know I have my own stories lately, um, I don't imagine all of you are feeling great peace this morning. The Christmas season, our world in general, uh, is not necessarily always one of peace. I don't have to say that much about world peace to think that we don't really have it right now. The conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine keeps going on, and the conflict between Israel and Palestine is still going. The best we can hope for, right, is just some momentary peace in these places. But personal peace, peace in your family, peace in your home, peace in your workplace, uh, is also at an all-time low. In 2017, there was a study that was done with young adults between the age of 18 and 30, and it said in the period of 12 years between 2005 and 2017 that anxiety and depression diagnosis increased 63%. Just 
Just 12 years, same group, increased 63%. And, and then in the first year of COVID, there was another study done that showed um, there was a global 25% increase in anxiety in those experiencing it. Is there peace in your home, in your heart? And then we come to Christmas and everyone's jazzed about the festive lights and the drinks, you know, and grabbing your hot cocoa and turning on a Yule log and uh, listening to some nice jazz. And, and it gives us this like little taste of peace um, or what we might call like a sentimental peace. For that very moment, we're like, oh, this is nice. Um, but that's it. It's just a moment, right? And the second you turn off Nick Offerman's Yule log on YouTube, um, it's over. It's over. But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring at his first coming. That's not the kind of peace that the Christmas story is actually talking about. Because when the angels declare that famous line in Luke 2.14, and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. They're speaking of an enduring peace, a lasting peace, a true peace, one that can actually create a people that are full of non-anxious presence in a chaotic and hostile world. So if we want to learn how to be people of peace, the Christmas story is a great place to start. In a chronically anxious age, it has so much to say about how we can be people of peace. So today we're going to look at three things. Um, first, we're going to look at, at false peace in this passage. We're going to look at enduring peace and then shared peace. Those aren't alliterated just for Cameron. I don't know where he is. Uh, but false peace, enduring peace, and shared peace. And just to note, the first one's a little shorter, the second one's a lot longer, and then we're really quick at the end. So for those of you who are like, is this going to keep going? It's okay. Um, We're really quick at the end. So let's start uh, at the beginning of the passage in verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And then in verse 3, And everyone went to their own town to register. So in the age that Jesus was born, it, it it was called the golden era of the Roman Empire, or Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Um, Caesar, uh, Augustus, was not just like a ruler. Um, He was deified as this god-ruler emperor who had supreme power, and everything was under his command, the military, the people, the government. And and there was a 200-year period of relative peace and prosperity in the region, actually the most peaceful period, quote, end quote, of that time. However, the, the peace that was accomplished then was only accomplished because of that one ruler bearing down on the people. Uh, One commentator said uh, it was accomplished because the people were bludgeoned into submission. So there there was technical peace in the land, but it wasn't peace for everybody. And in those days, if Caesar says jump, the people have to say how high. And the effect of this type of rule was that external peace, the peace of Rome. No war, prosperous empire, the rich getting richer, those in power getting more powerful. But imagine being a common person in Rome at that time, especially not a Roman citizen, which there were many of those who were in the Roman Empire. 
And I don't have to go too far into this to uh, remind us of, of the atrocities of the Roman Empire at this time. Uh, just to mention a few, uh, infanticide was a really common practice. If a baby was born with a deformity or if it was the wrong gender, it was okay to just leave it exposed to die. Not saying every baby was, uh, but that was accepted. Because you are a powerful person over that child and you have its life in your hands. It was accepted for slaves uh, to be used by their masters for whatever. So not only just the household chores, um, but sex and all sorts of horrible things. But that wasn't looked down on. They're your property. Taxation was disproportionate for those who weren't Roman citizens. It was really normal for people who were in low positions to be taken advantage of. And, and probably one of the more famous examples of this in the Bible is actually from Matthew's account of the Christmas story with Herod. Do you remember what happened? He was threatened because the Magi came and said that there's a new king that's come and he's been born. Where is he? They went to the palace. He wasn't there. And Herod said, let me know where he is so I can go worship him. Obviously, that's not what he was wanting to do. Matthew 2.16 says, when Herod realized that the Magi basically tricked him and, and didn't let them know where the new king was, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Is that peace? The peace that was accomplished by Rome was peace for some, peace for those who were in power, peace for those who had control. But peace through control is false peace. It's not real peace. It's anxious peace. And anxious peace is no peace. But, but we all know what it looks like, I think. Um, we don't have to be a Roman ruler to think that controlling a situation can give us some sort of peace, right? Uh, we actually do that in our own lives all the time. For a more lighthearted example, <laughs> to, uh, to give us some respite, um, we read this book to Asaph uh, that actually was read to Hannah as a child. It's called Five Minutes Peace. It's great. It's about this mother elephant and her three children, um, and it's all about the mother just trying to get five minutes of peace. So her plan is, I'm going to set the kids downstairs with their toys and their coloring books, and then I'm just going to go upstairs with a book and a bath and have five minutes of peace. Of course, the kids object, and they say, no, no, you can't go. Where are you going? What's going on? And she says, I just need to get five minutes of peace from you lot. The book says... After approximately one minute and 42nd seconds of peace, she heard a knock at the door. And one by one, all the children come in and say, can I show you my drawing? Can I sing you a song? Can I get in the bath with you? It obviously does not end in peace. And it, that might be a little too relatable for some of you. But it's relatable for all of us, right? Because uh, whatever peace that we have, we have to like just scrape back from the chaos of life because we can't control everything. There was a study that was done recently that said um, Americans in general have 15% of the control over their lives than they think they do. 
15% of the control over their lives than they think they do. So imagine that reality. If, if the only peace we get is the peace that we get from control, what kind of peace are we going to have? Uh, Mark Sayers is a, is a Christian historian and commentator, and he says this in his book, The Non-Anxious Presence, which is basically like a Christian interpretation of Friedman's work and how it applies to us. He says that, that this whole principle of, this, of being an individual in our time in the West, we are under a Roman empire or a Roman ruler, um, but we're autonomous. But the price up on the screen. The price for this autonomy means that the individual also must manage its own anxiety. So we get all this freedom, but that actually means it's up to us to manage our anxiety. Which means what we have to do is build up these walls of strongholds around us in order to protect ourselves from discomfort, in order to protect ourselves from anxiety. Does that sound similar to what your life is like? Right? I need to cut off that relationship because it's harmful to me. Because whenever I'm with that person, I get anxious. I I need to step back from work right now because it's too stressful. But there are some responsibilities that we can't just cut away. And relationships in this framework are still valued, but are only good at a distance. And anything that produces discomfort and sacrifice is a threat. So if we want to create our own little Pax Romana, or in my case, Pax Harper, um, then we need to have all this control. But that does not lead to peace. It doesn't lead to peace. It's another form of false peace. And at best, we might get five minutes, <laughs> but I can pretty much say all of you long for a lot more than five minutes of peace, right? Okay, so let's move on to the next point. Enduring peace, enduring peace. And this is found uh, verses 5 to 16 in our passage. We'll see in this passage, though, that, that enduring peace is both peace through pain and suffering, but it's also peace that lasts. Peace through pain and suffering, it's also a peace that lasts. So let's look at a couple people in this passage that did not have a peaceful time (laughs) to see what does it look like when someone goes through this kind of anxious, unhealthy system. So first, let's look at Joseph and Mary. So the effect of the false peace of Rome here is that um, Joseph and Mary had to travel 80 miles south from, from Galilee to Bethlehem in Mary's final weeks of pregnancy. Imagine third trimesters tra- traveling 80 miles on a wagon or, or horseback. In verse 6, we pick up the story. It says, while they were there in Bethlehem, uh, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Many songs have been written about this, right? Way in the manger, silent night, sweet, low, is that the one? I don't remember what the other one is that uh, Nat King Cole sings. Brilliant song. They're all so sweet, 
right? Their lullabies, all is calm, all is bright, and it's sprinkled with heavenly peace. That's not bad. Okay, don't hear me say the songs are all bad. But what they're trying to do is give us a sentimental peace, right, that we talked about at the beginning. It's, it, it's not the kind of peace that the story is talking about. And if we get caught up just in the sentiment of it, we can actually miss the true meaning behind it. I don't know however many of you have ever witnessed a birth. In my experience, it's not filled with peace. Uh, we've been thinking about this a lot. Sorry for all the parent analogies. This is, this is all I think about right now. Um, my boy is a year old right now. Um, so December 1st, 2022, he was born. Um, and after he was born, I was just like beaming because he was amazing. Hannah did so well. Like it was, it was my boy. I was so proud. Everything was great. And then the, the day after, uh, I was also just very exhausted, um, which hasn't changed too much. But um, our doctor came in and, and <laughs> she said something very wise. I was like, she's like, how did it go? And I started just, it, it was so cool. And then this happened and this happened and Anna and the baby. And then she's like, well, I like to tell couples um, what you should probably do is sit down and then just explain to each other your experience of how that was. It might be a little different for her and you. I come to find out it was a little bit different for Hannah. And the reality of the picture kind of set in. We could do the same thing here, right, Um, with the birth of Jesus, because it was a lot different than a lot of us probably have in our minds. I just want to focus in on one detail that's in verse 7. It says, there was no guest room available for them. That's kind of just like a, it feels like a throwaway line at the end. And much has been made about this over the years. Um, But it's just helpful to say this wasn't an assisted home birth. Um, One one commentator just totally upended my vision of of the night Jesus was born. When he said that, that the word that was used by Luke to describe this guest room. Um, It didn't refer to a back house or even really a guest room. He could have chosen one of two. And the word he chose actually meant this like in temp, this temporary enclosure. So picture like a roof, a fire and hay. That's it. Right. Um, And they would have been lining the streets, receiving travelers for the census. That's what wasn't available. Okay, so where was Jesus born? All we know is he was born near a feeding trough. That's what a manger is, right? It's a feeding trough for animals. Yet, how can you go through a situation like that and still have peace? Okay, so let's look at some other characters in the story. The shepherds, the shepherds, we love the shepherds. They're great in this story. Verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Sounds great. Sounds like camping under the stars, right? (laughs) Then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Of course they were. (laughs) I was just over there with Adrian, and the light was shining in through, and she couldn't even look up at me. Imagine... The angel in the presence of the Lord coming down on a dark night. 
like, it would have been absolutely terrifying. It's really common in the scriptures that people fall to their faces when they encounter angels. And the angel said to them, though, do not be afraid because I, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. So there's something really specific about what the angel says here at the beginning and throughout that gives us three key insights of why both of these parties in the midst of terrifying and crazy situations can have peace. Three key insights. First is something to perceive. Second is something to believe. And third is something to receive. To perceive, to believe, to receive. So let's start with perceive. Does anyone have the, the ESV? It says it a little bit differently. It's actually going to be up on the screen. Uh, the first part of this passage, it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It's a little bit different. There's another word in there. It says, behold. Tim Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, translates this part of the passage this way. He says, Do not be fearing, be perceiving. Don't fear, instead perceive, for I'm telling you the good news. So here's kind of like a a key principle, a a quick application of this. Instead of giving into the fear, you need to perceive the gospel. You need to think, you need to examine, you need to understand, you need to treasure, you need to cherish. That's what perceiving means. It means holding the truth and saying, this is the good stuff. Because what we perceive is what dictates the story that we believe we're in. There's a a famous story that's been told lots of different ways about St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, And it goes like this. A man came upon three brick layers in London. One was crouched down to the ground. One had its hands on its hips and kind of slunched over. And the other one was standing nice and tall. He asked the first bricklayer, what are you doing? He said, I'm a bricklayer. I'm laying bricks. I got to feed my family. He asked the second bricklayer that stood up a little bit taller. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm a wall builder. I'm building a wall. He asked the third man, who was also the most productive bricklayer of all of them. He said, what are you doing? He replied with a twinkle in his eye. I'm a cathedral builder. And I'm building the great cathedral to the almighty. All of them doing the same job. But what they perceived about what they were doing and what they were a part of totally changed their circumstance. And at some point, this perceiving has to happen for every one of us where God kind of snaps us out of the mundane, day-to-day, everything that's happening in our lives and helps us perceive the truth of the gospel. What's true behind all of this? And that's what he did for Mary. That's what he did for the shepherds. And at some point, we, it happens for us too. Because pre- perceiving the correct story about what you're here for and the context for your struggle and pain, 
that actually can lead to enduring peace. So second, what was, what were they to believe? So that's what they needed to perceive. They needed to get out of their own mundane reality and perceive something bigger. The, the message they were to believe is the message that said next, that, that the Savior, Messiah, Lord, had been born. He was the Savior because it says that Jesus, Yahweh saves, that's what Jesus' name means, will save their people from their sin, their rebellion from God himself. He was this Messiah because he was the promised deliverer that Israel had been waiting for. He was the Lord because he's the true king. That's what Lord meant. He was the true king who didn't come to bring peace like Caesar through power, but he came to bring peace through sacrifice, through the giving of himself. Or as the prophet Isaiah spoke about Jesus 700 years earlier, we read it in our liturgy, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is the one. And the kind of peace that Jesus brings is not that sentimental Christmas peace. But it's also not a peace that gets rid of all of your problems. Rather, it's an enduring, everlasting peace between God and man. Between you and God. Coming back to verse 14. This is such a crucial verse. The, the angels just sing out this song. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This was a declaration that sums up what the good news was doing. That was heaven and earth in peace. In peace together. Or as the song that we sang for the assurance said, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. So here's a question. Do you know why you feel so much anxiety when you try to control your way into peace? Do you know? The Bible would say, because you were never meant to control your life. You were never meant to control it. No one was ever meant to control your life, especially not you. And in fact, the story of scriptures start with two people who tried to control their lives, Adam and Eve. And by taking their lives into their own hands, that's what we call the fall. That's the beginning of all of the unrest, all of the peace that is no longer with us. And what Jesus came to do was restore that. That's peace. And that's the fountain of peace that can come. That's the something to believe. And lastly, something to receive. God never says, jump in without any evidence. That's a total misnomer about the Christian faith, that we just have to believe and there's nothing we can do. We just jump in and there's nothing we can see. Constantly, God is saying, here's a sign that you know that will be true, right? That's what he said by the angels to the shepherds. 
What was the sign? It was the manger. The sign was the manger. He said, you will find a baby lying in a manger. Partially that's the sign because it's really weird to put a baby in a feeding trough. But I I think it's more significant than that. Because you would expect if God came down in human form, was born as a baby, like he'd have the red carpet rolled out for him. Everything would be in line. He'd be in a palace somewhere. Caesar's son who would rule over all things, right? But no, he's in a manger, J.P. Morgan has this, um, he's a brilliant theologian and pastor. He says this about this passage. He says, there's actually a slide for it. When he came, Jesus, he passed the court, he passed the palace, he passed the dwelling place, he passed the inn, he passed the stable, and was born into this world so low down that no baby could ever be born lower. The sign that Jesus actually desires to enter our pain and fix everything didn't stop at the manger, though, did it? That's not the lowest point of Jesus' life. He was the only one who was truly favored by God. He was the only one who had peace with the Father from the beginning. And he's the one who went to the cross to die so that we could have peace. Or as Colossians 19, or 1, 19 through 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So by Jesus coming, the answer the world had been waiting for since the brokenness entered the world through sin It was here. It was in this moment. That was, that was the, the first fruits of the sign that God did not come to conquer and to control, but he came to love and redeem. And this is the true enduring peace. It's not a false peace because it's voluntary. And if you are ready to stop living in fear that comes from controlling your own life, These are the steps. Come, perceive the good news. Realize that it's not just your life that you're controlling that will bring you peace. And believe the good news that that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And then receive the evidence of his arms stretched out on the cross to realize that He doesn't just give you a sign and say, hope for the best. He says, look at what I've done for you. Look at what I've given to you. If we live in that story, knowing that we live under the control, the rule, and the reign of a God who loves us that much, that's the key to being a non-anxious presence. Very quickly, Let's go to our, our last point. Shared peace. That's the last point. Shared peace. 
So we had a false peace, our enduring peace through Christ, and now we have a shared peace. Because when you become a witness of God's enduring peace in action, you're compelled to share it. We see that in the passage, right, with, with, um, with the shepherds. After they went and saw Jesus in the manger, verified it was him, what did they do? Immediately, they started telling everyone around them, this is the one. We found him. We just heard about him. Now we found him. And it says they told everyone and they were amazed. And even more than that, it says that the words they said were the words that Mary, the mother of Jesus, pondered and treasured in her heart. Bringing her peace. There was uh, an article I read this last week in Vox. Not always the most reputable news source, but um, it was super interesting. It was called The Case to Invite Everyone to Everything. It's kind of a crazy title. And and as you read through the article, they, they showed study after study after study about how Our fear of inviting someone into something, whether they're not going to say yes, or they're going to come and it's awkward, or it's just going to be too much effort, really. Like, all that stuff that we try to do to control the situation, if we listen to that, we miss out on all the joy of relationships and inviting people. And it said study after study, people's expectations of how horrible and hard it was going to be completely mismatched the reality of what that other person wanted. And actually, another book we've been reading as elders about uh, people who no longer go to church or went to church and stopped going or have left, it says that almost all of them would be open to coming back to church if they were just invited by somebody. There's one group of people who know Jesus, who love Jesus, and have just gotten busy. And it says 100% of them would come back to church if a personal person they knew said, come with me. That's not a big ask, right? But when we start to control our world and our anxieties, we let those rule over what Christ has done in us. And of saying, if I have this peace, I have to share it. And it's not like when you share it, it'll just be the worst if they say yes, right? If they say no, things stay the same. But we see the byproduct of this, right, with the shepherds. What does this last verse say? Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So this whole situation, the peace that comes in the midst of tragedy and anxiety, getting to see it, getting to verify it, getting to share it with others, this is all a part of what the Christmas peace brings. And imagine, imagine what a church body in the middle of Los Angeles would look like if we were committed to not only receiving and believing and perceiving God's peace, that we have with him, but also sharing that with others. 
Imagine what that would look like. So here's the challenge today. You might be a Christian who's been in church for your whole life and you've heard these stories over and over and over and over again, but you've fallen into the control category. You think that's how you gain peace. The challenge is is start back by perceiving. Really think about what the message of Christmas is all about and what you're truly living in. What story are you living in? And if you are a Christian here and you know that and you're living in that, uh, the challenge is why not invite somebody else in? Why not invite somebody else in? This is the best time of year to do that. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here. Because this is the best news you could ever hear. And are you open to saying maybe there is something about this? Maybe this is true. There was one book back on the back. I just realized it now. Um, We have a great book about this that isn't on the back, but we'd love to walk with you through this process, wherever you're at, because we really think that God's peace is the answer to every problem in this world. So with that, let's pray that this would be true of us. God, you have come which means peace has come. Jesus, you did not come as a supreme ruler, even though you could have. You came humble and lowly. You came to experience pain and suffering to the highest degree. So you don't look at us and say anything other than I have been there and I have bought you peace through my blood. So God, I pray that in this Christmas season uh, that we would enjoy the festivities, that we would enjoy um, even the sentimental peace that, that we, we have through the songs, through, um, through all of the holiday, <laughs> everything that's going on. But Lord, I, I pray that we would not be distracted from the true peace that we can have with you. In Jesus' name, amen.